0: Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. We'll read through verse 14. Jesus is teaching, uh, continuing the Sermon on the Mount. We've read this passage before. I told you we'd come back to it. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you yours. That's verse 15. So that's the Lord's Prayer as we've come to know it. We really ought to call it the Disciples' Prayer, don't you think? Because Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray. This is a model prayer for us. He's teaching us how we ought to pray. In fact, in Luke chapter 11... We see a, a replica of this prayer, a near replica, and the disciples have asked him, Lord, teach us to pray as John has taught his disciples to pray. And the, Jesus comes and he gives them this, this essentially the same prayer. So he's teaching us how we ought to pray. And there's one thing that we need to be clear of when we start out, though. What Jesus gives us here is, it ought to be thought as of, of as a framework more than a script, a framework more than a script. Look at Matthew chapter uh, 6, verse 7 that we just read. He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. So we have a, a caution. We have a command from Jesus not to heap up empty phrases. And if you look those four words, heap up empty phrases, those are all translated from one Greek word, and I'm going to try it but let me get it's batalogisita that's what it is one greek i did it whoo <laughs> batalogisita that's the greek word that it's all translated from and the most basic meaning of that word is is to prattle on to just just yammer to just yammer on And uh, like to say a bunch of words, especially useless and purposeless words. So speaking, so Jesus says, don't speak purposeless, meaningless, useless words. And we see that in the King James translation where it says, when you pray, don't don't heap up vain repetition. Don't offer vain repetition like the Gentiles do. So uh, Jesus is, is telling us. Not to heap up meaningless words? So I guess the question then is, is reciting the Lord's Prayer, is that vain repetition? Is that heaping up meaningless phrases and meaningless words? Is even praying memorized prayers like the Lord's Prayer? Is that heaping up meaningless words? If we do that during our, our prayer time, is that the Batalogisita that Jesus is talking about? Well, not necessarily. And Maybe, maybe it is, maybe not necessarily it is. So there is a saying that, that we like to use uh, in our house, your words matter. Amen. Amen. What you say matters, the words you use matter, and they do. But that's not the same thing as saying your words have meaning. So you ever heard someone give you an apology and uh, you felt like it was an empty apology, right? Surely we've all had that experience. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but they don't, they're not really sorry. They're just saying the words, but you know, you just know by the circumstances and the situation and their attitude, you know that there's no real regret, there's no real remorse, there's no real re- apology in their heart. Those words had no meaning because they had no sincerity with them. They were spoken without sincerity, spoken without a connection to how the person was actually feeling, right? They were spoken just meaninglessly. They were empty phrases. The same thing is true for the phrase, I love you. You know, it is a, those are precious words to say, I love you. It's a precious phrase. But they can be spoken without any meaning at all, spoken without any real connection to the, to the person who's feeling it. They're not feeling I love you when they say it yeah. without sincerity. And when it, when it comes to prayer, you know, we have a, a tradition. It's really a tradition because there's nowhere in the Scripture that we're commanded to use these words, though Jesus does tell us um, to pray in this manner. But how do we always end our prayers? In Jesus' name, Right? And, and so often it can, and there's nothing, that's good, right? Jesus did say, when you pray, pray in my name, right? But he didn't say, say those words, that's, that, don't confuse that, um, but we're praying in a manner of, of in Jesus' name. But we'll tack those words onto the end of our prayers almost like they're just a, a little little stamp, little little throwaway line um, just to s- sort of seal everything up, like licking an envelope for a letter, uh, you know, we give very little thought to it. And yet, Jesus' name, when we, when we pray in His name, His name is the means by which we're even able to offer prayer before God. His name is the the means by which we're even able to go into the throne room of God. You know, we approach on our own and our righteousness is filthy rags. We have to approach him clothed in the robes that Christ has given us. We have to approach him as his son, as his son has authorized us to approach him. Otherwise, we have no way and no means of getting to him. So it's very important that we understand that when we say that we're praying in Jesus' name, that means something. And we not just throw those words away. We don't just throw it away and, and, and just like, like it. It's, we don't attach any thought to it. It's very important that we not treat it as an add-on, but we, we certainly can, can't we? We fall into that, into that rut, into the, the rut of just saying, in Jesus' name, amen, and we just throw it on to the end of our prayer without much thought about what it really means and without any real gratitude or gratefulness toward our Lord for, for giving us the right to pray, not carrying our own name, but carrying his name, that's a, that's a huge deal. So he's teaching us about prayer, and he's not he's not saying never recite. Right? He's not saying never recite, never pray from a memory or a memorized prayer. What he's saying is never recite without sincerity. If you're going to do that, and, and I'm, I'll tell you here in just a minute, there are times when it's helpful. Um, make sure you mean it. That's what he says. And, but he takes time to give us caution to say, hey, don't, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. So there's a danger in, in reciting too often or, or without feeling it's a good practice for us to not recite too often because if, if we do, it just it tends to become mechanical and rote and there's no real heart behind the words that we're saying and, and thus they become empty phrases. It's like communion for me. There are some uh, churches, and there's no problem with this at all, but there are churches who practice communion every Sunday or every time that they gather. And, and that's fine for them, uh, but for me, it's like, it's like Thanksgiving dinner. And Chris, you, know, you only have those a certain times a year, right? And and the more you do it, the less special it is. And I want it to be special. I don't want it to become rote for us. Um, so we don't do communion every every week. We do it about once a quarter is how often we do it. And Jesus didn't give us a commandment about how often we should do it. He said as often, or Paul didn't. He said as often as you do it, as often. So whenever we do it. And so that's why we do it uh we don't do it all the time because I want it to be special. I want it to mean something. And we run the danger, there's a very real risk of it just being rote, mechanical, when we over-repeat something, you know? And so Jesus gives us this, this, um, this uh, uh, warning in, in, in verse 7, you know, be careful about this vain repetition. Be careful about, about becoming rote in your, in your prayer life. Not never repeat. But be careful about it. Uh, uh, just one more word I'll say about that. I, I think that in our tradition, in our, our charismatic evangelical uh, tradition, we have had such a strong reaction toward the liturgical practices of, you know, the old orthodox churches. I mean, they, the way that they were doing things with such um, mechanical precision um, in, in their liturgy, and things like that, and that these are the words that you say when you pray, and this and and all of that. And we had such a, a snap back, like a rubber band being stretched to its limit and then let go. We snapped back so hard against memorized approaches and against liturgical approaches. Many of us are very uncomfortable with with memorized prayer. We're very uncomfortable with it. And so the thought of of reciting the Lord's Prayer as an actual prayer is, is very distasteful to us. Because we've been taught that you should, never, you should never give a memorized prayer. It should always come straight from the heart and always off the top of your head. And, and that's not at all what, what Jesus is teaching. In fact, can I, can I just be honest with you? Um, there are times when I'm praying and I just, I just don't have the words. I mean, my mind is going a hundred different directions. I've got a hundred things on my mind emotionally speaking i'm i'm all over the emotional spectrum just because of the different things that are going on in my head and i just i don't have the words i don't know where even to begin in my prayer and 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 then there are times when you know what i'm i'm just not feeling it you ever been there i'm just not feeling prayer right now there's a an intimacy that i have to come to there's a there's a level of I don't know. I've got to calm my mind. I've got to get my heart in the right condition to pray, and I'm just—I'm just not there right now. And there's times I'm just not—I'm just not feeling it. And uh, you know, but here's the thing: I have made an appointment with God every day to come to Him and spend time with Him and talk to Him and communicate with Him and fellowship with Him. It's a standing appointment, so it doesn't matter. What I'm feeling, it no doesn't matter how my brain's going or whatever, I've got a standing appointment with God every morning at about 5 30 in the morning. And, and I've got to keep that appointment no matter what I'm feeling. So when I go and I sit down, there are times when I'm just not feeling it or when I'm just overwhelmed and so overwhelmed I don't know what to say to start with. That if I just begin with, Father in heaven, let your name be hallowed. And I think about that and what that means. And I, I pray for all the ways for that to come, for all the ways that come to my mind for God to make that happen, for Him to make that happen in my life, starting with me. Let your name be hallowed in my life. And what does that mean? Let your name be hallowed in my life. I pray for all those ways. Let it be hallowed in, in my wife's life. How, how is it that she could live to, to bring honor and glory and make your name be holy? And in my children, and at, how can I do this on my job? And, and how is it in society that, that, we could, that your name would be hallowed? What do we need to have happen? Let your name be hallowed. And, and I think about your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let, let your will be done in my life and in every life and, and show me your will and show me your way and, and give, me, give me the strength and the faith and the courage and the passion to do your will in, in the face of a world that doesn't love your will. Give me the passion and the courage and the boldness to preach it and to teach it to others who don't want to hear it because how will they hear? How will they believe if they do not hear? That's what Paul said. And before I know it, That memorized prayer has led me into some of the sweetest, most sincere times of communicating, communing, fellowshipping with my God. So I started having no idea what, Lord, I don't even know. And He gave me a model. And I follow the model. And oh, the sweetness that it has brought. But you know what? It would be meaningless for me. It would accomplish nothing for me if I approached it mechanically and without sincerity. So that's why Jesus says, be careful that you don't do this like the Gentiles do. Be careful that you don't come at this mechanically without sincerity, with empty phrases. We want real, we want intimate communication with our Father. And so we get that through the sincerity of our prayer. What is it that Paul said? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual and fervent is translated from one word, energonome. And that means the inward working, the prayer that comes from inside. The one that works in and comes out. So it's sincere, heartfelt, earnest prayer. It's not talking about the fervency, the heat of your prayer, but the heartfeltness of it, of your prayer. So, in considering this framework, again, you know, with all that being said, what Jesus gives us, and I, I think it's the best way for us to approach the Lord's Prayer and the best way for us to apply it in our own lives is to, to look at it as a framework and not as a script. It's a framework. And, and, and when we look at that framework, what does the framework involve? Well, there, there are a number of things, and we'll cover uh, some of them over the next few weeks. But today, I want to focus on one particular aspect of prayer. And that is something that, that sometimes we get shamed over it. But it, it, it's that prayer is mostly asking, mostly asking, All right? If you look at the language that, that Jesus uses in his example, um, there are some things that stick out to me. The, one of the main things is that it's overwhelmingly an asking of God for certain things. Now, whether it's asking for God's will to be done or it's asking for Him to provide food and protection, it's still asking. There are only two declarative statements in the whole of the Lord's Prayer, and they're very important. The first one is in the very first words of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. That's a declarative statement. You are my Father, God, and you are in heaven. And then the second declaration is in verse 12, where he says, and we also forgive our debtors. We are forgiving our debtors. We have forgiven our debtors. That's a declarative statement. Everything else in this prayer is a request. Now, pointing that out because there are some where he says, hallowed be thy name. That's translated, let your name be hallowed. Thy kingdom come, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Those are requests. The King James Version follows it up at the end of it after, uh, as we forgive our debtors with, uh, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And you might say, well, that's a declarative statement. Well, it's likely that that's not really in the oldest manuscripts. That's why it's not included in some of the modern translations. See, we you know, that gives us a whole different discussion, but... Suffice it to say that the Lord's Prayer ended with, for, as we have also forgiven our debtors. I'm pointing that out about all the questions that he asks, that the, that the prayer asks, the requests that it makes, because there are those who have good intentions, uh, but they have a theology that puts man at the center of what God does. It's a small God kind of theology. And, and uh, with all the well-intentions they have, they have well-intentioned fervor. They're going to point a finger at you and say things like, when's the last time that you just shut up and praised God in your prayer? When's the last time you just worshipped God in your prayer? All you do is ask, how would you feel if someone only ever came to you whenever they needed something, whenever they needed you? And so the impression that we get from that kind of, of approach is that we ought to set aside our asking and instead just praise and instead just worship. And Again, it's, it's well-intentioned. I mean, what's wrong with praising God? Absolutely nothing. Scripture commands us to do it. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice, with loud songs of joy. That's uh, Psalms 47.1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to God. Psalms 147.1. Sing praises unto God. Sing praises. Psalm 47, 6. It's commanded of us to praise the Lord, to worship Him. So yes, praise God for He is worthy of our praise. But church, I'm going to tell you, you should never feel embarrassed or ashamed or guilty for bringing your burdens to the Lord. Amen. Ever. Amen. Amen. The same psalmist wrote uh, in Psalm 52, 22, cast your burden on the Lord for He will sustain you. Amen. Peter said very famously in 1 Peter 5 verse 7, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. The danger that we face with this you're asking too much approach is that we bring God down to our level. We make Him human. Has He not said, ask me? Bring me your burdens? In fact, there's there's nothing that you have need of that He doesn't already know there is no shame in bringing your burdens and your cares to God. He already knows what they are. That's what he said in Matthew 6, 8, Amen. the very next verse. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. No, he said, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Amen. And knowing all of our burdens, he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden in Matthew 11, He sees everything. He knows that you have needs. He says, I will give you rest. He knows when your needs overwhelm you. He knows when you don't have answers. He knows when you think it's too much. He knows when you wonder, how could He ever love me? He knows when you think, boy, I've gotten myself in it real big this time. But he is not like, he is not like men. And thank him for that. God is good. Jesus tells us that God will not give you a stone when you ask for bread. He will not give you a scorpion when you ask for fish. He is good. And like any good father, he is delighted when his children ask you for his help. I don't want to be guilty of making God more like man. Amen. He is, has explicitly declared in his word that he is not like us. He says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are, are higher than your thoughts. God is not a man that he should lie. That's why we need a mediator In Jesus Christ, because He's not like us. We need someone to stand between and put one hand on God's shoulder and one hand on our shoulder. That's what Job said. I need a mediator between me and you, someone to put His hands on both of our shoulders, someone to to stand in between the gap. That's why we need it, because He's not like us. But I learned so much about God's heart towards His children through seeing His Word at work in me, in my own children. I don't don't want to humanize him too much, but my human experience with my own kids has really taught me a lot about how much he loves. I didn't know it. I mean, I I remember when dad used to say, and and mom used to say, one day you'll understand. You know, why do we do the things that we do? Why do we limit you in these ways? Why do we put restrictions on you? Why do we put boundaries around you? And they tell me, one day you'll get it. And then I had kids. And I got it. And my, parents, my kids ask me the same thing. Why? And I, one day, you know, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. I'm trying to give you advice. I'm trying to give you help. I'm trying to love on you and, and, and guide you and lead you. And they wonder. And I tell them, one day you'll get it. Amen. There's no way you can get it now because you, you don't have the reference for it. But one day you'll get it. So A few weeks ago, my uh, youngest daughter, Michaela, uh, she's studying engineering in college, and there's a program that she has to use in order to do the the designs on her computer, and she had to get that installed, and she was having problems getting the installer to work. Well, you know, that's what I do for a living. I'm I'm an IT guy. So who did she call? She called Dad. She called me from Tennessee, and she said, uh, hey, Dad. I said, hey, baby girl, how you doing? She said, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm sorry to bother you, but can you help me with this, with this program? Now, she said that, and inside I had two simultaneous reactions. Mm-hmm. Amen. I had one of sorrow, yes. and I had one of great joy. Amen. Um, it was sheer joy for me as dad to hear her say, Dad, can you help me? (laughs) Yes, baby, I can. Uh, I sure can. And if I can't, we'll find out how to get you help. It was sheer joy. Because what she said was, Dad, I need help. Even though I have friends who know how to do this stuff, even though I have a professor who can do this for me, even though the college has a whole IT department whose specific job it is to help me with these things, Dad, can you help me? I trust you most. Your help means the most. I'm most comfortable coming to you for your help. I rest better when you help. I'm most confident in your help. See, when she said, Dad, can you help me? I heard all of that. I heard all of that. and Those little five words, Dad, can you help me? I heard all of that. but I also, And that gave me great joy. But I also had great sorrow. I mean, she knows I'm her dad. And there are only two people in the whole universe that get to call me that. And she's one of them. And I've told her over and over again, it's my joy to help you. If you ever need anything, I'm, I'm here for you, baby girl. You call me anytime, day or night. It doesn't matter. I'm here for you, especially since you're out of my house and I can't see what's going on. I can't keep my watchful eye on you all the time. You call me if you need anything. Amen. Amen. And yet, when she called, she said, I'm sorry to bother you. I thought, what do you mean you're sorry? Why would you ever be sorry? Call me. It's no inconvenience for me. You are my daughter. You are my offspring. You are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. I raised you from a baby. I don't care what I'm doing. I'll drop it when you call. It is never an inconvenience for you to call me. Why sorry? Do you not know? It is my joy just to be your dad. And that takes me back to the way that Jesus opens his prayer with that declarative statement. Our Father in heaven. Let us not throw that away. We should understand he is first our Father. Not everyone gets to call him that church. Not everyone gets to call him that. Only those who have been born again of the Spirit, only those who have surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, Jesus says that that way is narrow, that way is straight, that way is hard that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Not everyone gets to call him Daddy. Not everyone gets to say Abba. And he is a good dad. I remember when my my dad was was still here. He was my go-to guy. Because I'm not particularly good with mechanical things, with maintenance, cars and construction. Dad was cars and construction. He knew all that stuff. I knew computers. That was my world. So when something broke, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to start and I always called dad. The car makes some funny noise or the roof's got a leak. I called dad. I said, dad, the car's doing this thing. And before his health problems, before he he went blind and, and uh, lost all of his strength, he would offer to take a look at it for me. He'd say, son, bring it on by and I'll look at it. And sometimes I get a lecture about being a better maintainer of my vehicle, you know, changing the oil regularly and all that. Um, that doesn't just happen. <laughs> you have to do that. Um, yeah, he'd give me a lecture about that. And sometimes he'd just fix it. And then when his health went and he lost his sight, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't do that anymore. And, and for him personally, I could tell, and it would, it would be like this for any, anyone, but I could tell he, he took a personal hit over that. It impacted him emotionally. It impacted his sense of self-worth. He went from being this independent man who who was able to help to being the one who needed help. He was a helper and he found himself needing help. He was the one who was needed and he found himself the one in need. It impacted his sense of self-worth, my dad. And he jumped at the chance after his his uh, health, health problems started, he jumped at the chance to help in any way that he could. He wanted to be helpful. He wanted to contribute. And if you remember him, you'll remember that. It's one of the reasons why it was so hard for him to finally give up, not give up, but let go and go home to be with Jesus. He was so worried about everyone else. Here's the thing. I know. I know. Because it showed. That he was delighted. When I called him with a problem. Amen, amen, amen. It delighted him. Because he got a chance to contribute. And to help. And it said dad I trust you. I trust you. And I still need you. And he did. He helped. And I did. I needed. <laughs> I needed his help. Even with him laid up in his bed, unable to do anything, I still needed him. I needed his wisdom. I needed his experience. You know, it was so funny because I'd call him. And I'd say, hey, Dad, my car's doing this funny thing. And then I'd say, you know, um, I don't know, it's got this rattle, whatever. I said, who do you think I should take it to? Because I knew he, he can't look at it. So, you know, he was my go-to guy. He, he always knew where to go because um, that was the world he lived in. And so I'd say, where do you think I should take it to? And, and, uh, and he'd say, well, let me, let me think on that. And then we'd talk about it for a few seconds and, and uh, he'd say, why don't you call so-and-so and, and tell him who you are. And when he said that, that always meant tell him that you're my son. Use my name and oh, the things we could talk about who's my name call them and tell them who you are and see what they say about it and anyway I'd, I'd get off the phone with him and, and he, I'd go to searching for the number you know trying to find out who it is he's wanting me to call because he never knew the place he always knew the guy's name i had to look up the guy's name to find the, the place you know the business and uh, by the time you know I've got the number dad's already called me back two or three minutes later and, and he'd say, you know, I've, uh, he'd say, oh, hey, son, it's your dad. Um, go ahead and take your car tomorrow to this place. I've already called them, and I've told them the situation, and, and they'll be ready for you tomorrow. So not only did he help me with knowledge on who to call, but he went ahead and did it for me. <laughs> he went and took care of it from his bed. That's a good dad. That's a good dad. See, if he didn't want to help, if it was a a, a nuisance, if it was an annoyance, if I was calling too much, if it bothered him to have me call and ask for help, he would not have gone the extra step it needed to make the call for me. Not only did he tell me where to call, but he made the call for me. He set up the situation for me. He provided a way. That's what my dad did. It delighted him. It brought him joy to help me. You know what? It glorified him for me to need him, to trust his counsel, to trust his ability. It says, Dad, I trust you, and I need you, and I'm comfortable with you, and I'm confident with you. And that's what he felt. It glorified my dad. And as good as my dad was here on earth to me, my father in heaven's goodness far surpasses that. He is inexhaustible and unsearchable and nothing is impossible for him. And in fact, hes you know what? My dad modeled my heavenly father when he went ahead and made the call for me. Because my heavenly father looked down on me and he said, I know you've got a need. Long before I was ever born, he said, I know you've got a need. And it's the biggest need you'll ever have. And so what did he do? He sent his son to die for me. I'm going to make a way for you before you even ask. Why should we be fearful to ask? In fact, we should be fearful not to take our troubles to the Lord. In times when I'm feeling particularly self-sufficient, when I'm feeling like I don't need him, like my pride is welling up within me and I'm thinking I'm, I'm all that and I'm doing pretty good, in the Lord's mercy, he reminds me of that old hymn, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Every hour, every minute, every second of every day, I need him. And so I have to come to him. And he reminds me when I'm feeling pretty full of myself, you still need me. Amen. God, I'm thankful for that hymn. Thank you, God, for that hymn. I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. I know him to be slow to anger. I know him to be quick to forgive. Amen. That means eager to forgive. He's eager to forgive. And I want to remind you that he is your father also. Amen. That's your daddy. Slow to anger. Quick, eager to forgive, and he delights in being your help, your provider, your counselor, and your savior. From the foundation of the world, he saw our great need, and he made a way before we ever asked. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, it pleased God to crush him, put him to grief. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says that it was for joy that Jesus endured the cross. God delights in our trusting him to meet our needs. He delights in our bringing our needs to him. So I've got a big God theology. He's, He's not exhaustible. Neither does he grow impatient with my need. It's his delight. So we we shouldn't ever feel self-conscious about laying our burdens on the Lord. We lay our cares on him because he cares for us. He wants us to go to him in prayer. Have you ever just gone to God in prayer and you start just laying it all out and then you feel like I'm just whining? I'm just whining. Do you know that's a mercy? That's God telling you, son, you don't have it so bad. Look how good I've been to you. Sometimes I feel that way. You know, I want to lay it all out before him, and I go to him in prayer, and I'm praying, and then I realize this is nothing. I'm upset about nothing. You have given me everything I need, and I'm, I'm prattling about over nothing. Oh, what a mercy it is to lay everything on God. Big God, He can handle it. His arm is not so short. He cannot help you. His eyes are not so dim. He cannot see you. He is strong and able and trustworthy. A good, good Father. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer.